Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Tom Corner about names before numbers and people before profit in relation to how organizations responding to the needs of their people in this pandemic moment. Tom Corner, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Great to be here, John. Thanks for having me. Look forward to a great conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. And it was fun chatting before uh, hitting record in, in the pre-interview and just getting to know you a little bit more. Uh, and and I have the benefit of knowing a little bit more about your background than anyone listening probably does. And so in a moment, I will do a quick introduction and, and share with listeners a little bit about you and I'll give you a chance to do the same. Uh, but it really is a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you today. Uh, you have a lot of different uh, complementary areas of expertise uh, that I think will are really well suited for our conversation. And among all the things you could talk about, we're going to be focusing today on people within organizations and how we can best support, sustain, up, uplift, and develop the people in our organizations. Uh, and in preparation for this episode, you had shared some thoughts around uh, looking at our people as names before numbers and people before profit. And I thought that was a really good framing for this episode. So that'll be our focus for today, generally speaking, but also within the context of this pandemic and how organizations are responding to the needs of their people in this pandemic moment. As we get started, I do want to share Tom's bio with everyone listening today. Tom Corner is author of five books, the most recent being Borrowed Eyes and Feet, Finding Enlightenment After Rage. He published his first children's book in 2014, Lists for Santa, Lists for Life. His follow-up publications include Positive Thoughts, Positive Life, Mommy, Why Do You Have Two Birthdays, and Life is Fine When You Are Aligned. Corner's successful careers in the restaurant, hospitality, and financial services industries paved the way to his focus on mentoring and helping people find their path in life. Again, Tom, it is great to have you. Uh, really interesting background. Uh, it looks like you've done a lot of different really cool things. Before we launch into the conversation to focus on uh, people management issues and, and developing our people in this pandemic moment, uh, perhaps you can share a little bit more background and, and personal context for the conversation. Great, John. Thank you. I, I, don't, I don't know much, if much else needs to be said after that, but thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've I've been in financial services for 20 years prior to that, the hospitality industry. I just consider myself a, just a regular guy, but who's trying to make sense of, of life and understand the journey that we're on because it can be scary. It can be stressful. It can be devastating at times, but it also 
I think it's easy for us to lose sight of, of what life is all about is the, is the joy and the, and the bliss. And sometimes life goes by and we don't look up to enjoy it until it's too late. And my journeys, my, it's my personal journey in my books. And I figured when I wrote my first book, if I could share any of my lessons that I've learned, I wanted to share it with my kids. And I said, well, I thought if I could share it with anybody else, as I go down my path through this journey, I would love to do that. And that's what's brought us here today. Having this conversation is being able to do like what you're doing is help people understand what it means to be, to lead with love in life, to lead with love in business. And that's a tough thing, especially if you're a guy to say that I love you uh, is looked at as a vulnerability. And I've, I've tested both sides of it. The, bull in a china shop side to be all macho versus saying hey you know what you know what john i'm going to give you a hug and people laugh and cringe at that but that's our true strength and, and i'm telling you over the last year that is what's going to really uh, i believe bring people closer together is to look past um, any hatred or biases or judgment and and come together to to love. And I'm not talking about the love that people just throw around willy nilly. And Dr. Wayne Dyer used to talk about that is, is the love that is the energy that gives us life and keeps us here in harmony. So that was a long addition to what you said, but I'm just a guy who's sharing my path and experience with the world. Yeah. And, and as you were sharing that, you know, one of the things that came to mind for me, you know, perhaps one way of looking at a genuine love for others is genuine caring, uh, genuine uh, support and in, in reaching out, like looking to those around you, seeing them for who they are, their their whole authentic self, seeing them for their potential, um, and, and then con- choosing to connect with them in positive ways. Uh, in my mind, that's, you know, really kind of what love is all about. I think about my family, for example, uh, we were joking, you know, before hitting record, uh, my kids are all home right now. And so there might be a little bit of ruckus in the background, um, you know, and that's, but that's, that's great, right? That's everyone's dealing with that same thing right now. And, but I, I think about my family and I think about everything I do for them, everything, um, you know, all the things I sacrifice for them. Uh, and it all comes back to this genuine caring, this genuine desire to help my kids to grow and develop. And that doesn't have to be limited to your family. Like you can, you can do that with close friendships. You can do that in the workplace when you, as a leader, as I care about my people, uh, if I see them for who they really are and the potential that they truly have, and I work to help them develop that, that's an act of love. That's an act of genuine caring and compassion. And I think we need a lot more of that in the workplace. I agree. I agree hundred <laughs> percent. So one of the things I know um, you focus on is this idea of people before profits, names before numbers. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that. Uh, and then we can dive on into what that might look like if we, if we really try to, you know, do that, implement that within an organization. Yeah. Names before numbers, actually in my upcoming book, the title, I'll, I'll, 
I use a cleaner title when I do interviews, antagonist to angels, a change of mind in the workplace and the world, quite frankly, antagonist, you can replace for with another a word if you choose to, but it's, it's, it's the reality of it because sometimes you feel like people in positions of leadership are antagonists. And over my career, any business, I've tested this myself personally. I've read, I've researched. There's plenty of books that speak to names before numbers, profits before people. And there's a chapter in my book talking about that. And it's actually, this book's a novel based on my real life experience, but it's, it's a recollection uh, of a conversation I had with my manager and asking what needed to be done to improve what he was doing, which is a great question to ask. But the challenge is when you ask that, and this goes, I'm, I'm going to answer your question. This goes to, this goes to culture. This goes to guiding principles for an organization. And if that's a great question for a manager to ask, because that makes them vulnerable. What do I need to do to improve myself? Where that, just like saying we believe in honesty, integrity, integrity, and transparency, but when you do nothing with it and you don't listen and follow through with it, and those wonderful ideas actually don't come to fruition and they fall to the floor, that's where you start losing people. So this manager asked this question of me and my peers, but never did anything with it. And it's a matter of, and this comes from, again, my experience reading a book called Wisdom of Failure, which is an amazing book. This came from a book that he suggested our team read called The Energy Bus. Rule number eight, I think it is on The Energy Bus is love your passengers. And I said, you suggested we read this book. Do you remember what rule number eight is? He had no idea. That's one of those things. Again, I'll challenge it. If you're going to ask us to do certain things, I will do it, but I always ask why. And I want to know why. And you also better be embracing some of it. Because if you're telling us to do something and you're not doing it, that's where you lose people as a leader. Love your passengers is the same thing as love your people names before numbers. The reason I say that, John, is because in order for any business to succeed, if you're a one man or woman shop or you have, 100,000 employees, you typically build your vision, your, your business off of a vision and a belief and something that you believe in. And then it grows and then people come on and get, carry that baton. And then as it grows, you need your numbers, your metrics, your analytics to say, okay, well, okay, things are ebbing, ebbing and flowing. How do, what do I need to do? And what happens is if I'm a leader and I love my people too much and I lose sight of the numbers, I'll fail probably, or I'll find it difficult because I'm not focusing on the task at hand. Or if I'm a leader and wisdom of failure talks about this, when things go awry and they're not working, what they do is they, they drive people harder. They work them harder. They throw more money into something that's not going to work. That's where ego gets in the way because a leader doesn't want to be looked at as a failure. So it's a, it's a, fascinating balance you have to you have to have that harmony and and, and something you said i think was is really important perhaps i can touch on for just a moment yeah um and and that is with this balance 
like if I'm, if I'm thinking I need to, you know, focus on people, I need to love my people. I need to work on developing my people. If that's my mindset as a leader, um, that doesn't mean that I'm a pushover. That doesn't mean that I let anything fly that, uh, that unhealthy behaviors are allowed that there's no accountability. Um, that's actually not productive or helpful for me or my people. And so if I love them, that means I have to push them and challenge them, right? Not run them into the ground, like you just said, and it can be a balance, but I, I, it's not just about uh, all the warm fuzzies all the time. It's about like truly uh, helping people to develop and achieve their potential. If I care about someone, that's my desire. And that means I'm willing to have challenging and difficult conversations with them, that I'm, I'm willing to do the work of coaching and mentoring, helping them establish goals and work towards achieving them. And that's a hard process. Um, yes. And, and I think sometimes when we talk about these types of um, topics, people tend to swing to one side of the, the uh, spectrum or the other. And, and it, it is a spectrum. It's not an either or like you have to find and strike a balance uh, to be effective as a leader, to be able to bring value to the marketplace. Um, your organization won't exist if you're not producing and you're not doing something of value and quality that people want to buy. And so you have to make sure that your people are taken care of, but also that you're helping them to innovate and create and produce all of those things that organizations have to be able to do. And, and that's hard. That's hard to do. And that's why leadership is hard. Uh, it's easy to either be kind of the pushover passive boss who just care, you know, I care about you and let you do whatever you want. It's easy to be the task master, you know, person running your people into the ground. It's hard to find the balance in the middle. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And that's why you see these dynamics. But what's, what's concerning is, is, is the the trend towards automation. So the names before numbers is, is asking the age old question, which came first, the chicken or the egg, which came first, the names or the numbers, the people or the profits. You could have a dialogue all day, but I'm telling you right now, before, if we're ever automated and there's no need for people, the people are important because if you don't take care, if you don't have people to put up your names and profits, you're not going to have your numbers and profits. You're not going to have numbers and profits. So people are still important at this day and age of humanity, right? And so automation is a wonderful thing. But again, like you said, if I'm going automation too far, that's a slippery slope for disaster. And as I mentioned, this is based on my personal experience in testing this. And there's a, there's a book called The Challenger Sale. And they, there's something in there they refer to, John, as spreadsheet coaching. And it's not a good thing. And they're talking about challenger sales, really getting that person to maybe challenge the client or the way they approach things or, or, or to get them to buy. And they say, if you're a spreadsheet coach, that's not the way to do it. And that's somebody who has their head so far in the numbers and the spreadsheets, they need to look up and pay attention around them. But that's not a good thing. A lot of these leaders, they, they go down that path and they're spreadsheeting. And so if you look at it, it's, it, it is, it is difficult because there is a way to, you can pound your chest and you can 
scream and rant at your people and be respected for it. But a lot of people will rant and rave, but that's the only way they know how to lead. And if that, it works, it could work to get people going to motivate them momentarily in the short term, it could work. But if that's the only way you do it and you come back and you keep doing the same thing and you berate them and you put them down, eventually you're going to lose them. And that's, that's right. It's, it's a short-term solution um, that has really detrimental long-term consequences, right? For the individuals and for the culture and the organization. Yeah. And so in my book, Antagonist to Angels, I open it up. My books are very, they, they go down a spiritual path. They go down the mindset path. It starts at birth and childhood because I'm telling you right now, what, I'm, what we're talking about, there not much changes from the days on the playground as a kid to the days on the playground of the boardroom, people still act the same way. It's we're just adults, mature adults acting like children on the playground. And there's, you get those knuckleheads that are bullies or whatever you want to call it that push their way around and get what they want. And there's no respect there. They don't, they don't do it because they, have respect for their people. They do it from the standpoint of an ego and a title. And, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And I want your listeners to understand there's nothing wrong with that. That's what makes this country great. And we can go and become who we want to be. But if you look at history, there are points when people allow the ego to get a hold of them for the, for the wrong and they lose that power. And you and I, I, you see people say, well, don't give away our secrets. Don't tell anybody this. And I view it. First of all, it was never yours to begin with. Secondly, most people, if you give them your secrets, they wouldn't even know what to do with it. You have to have somebody who knows what to do with it. But it's interesting seeing leaders hide things and say, don't give them our list of salespeople because they might poach them. And in my position of leadership, I said to the team, I said, I want recruiters contacting you all the time to say, hey, why don't you join our firm? And you say, no, thanks. I'm good where I'm at because I've embraced that individual. I've supported them. I've also driven them and given the respect to say, hey, look, you've got to work hard. You have to understand how they both work out. If I support them and, and, and build them up personally and professionally and they're in a good place, you could have a thousand recruiters calling and throwing all sorts of money at them. And they say, no, I'm okay where I'm at. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI press, the alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, 
organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. That's powerful because they they feel invested in by you, right? And they're making the conscious choice to stay. And that's different than staying because you really have no other options. The, yes. In terms of the level of commitment, the level of engagement. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we want. Like, you, I'm sure you don't want your people to feel like you want them to leave. You want them to get recruited and to go somewhere else. But you're, you're, it's quite the opposite. You're helping them understand right. that you are committed to an organizational environment and a healthy culture where they feel valued and empowered and that you believe that they will choose to stay and then they make that active choice. And that's, that is very powerful. It's like the cycle of life. And if they, if they're not, if they're going to leave, then I say, okay, I don't want you to leave. I, I love, you know, what you've done here, but I will support you. So, so now you're looking at most managers will cringe because I had a colleague come to me who was looking for a job because he wanted to leave this, the company I left. And he said, I can't put my manager down as my reference because I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. And I know he's not going to say anything good about me. And this guy was a great guy. And I said, you can absolutely put my name down. I'd be more than happy to, to put in a good word for you. I've worked with you, et cetera. That is scary. And mo most people feel that way. And it, and it shouldn't be that way. People are afraid to look for another job. And so if they're working full time and looking for another job, you have to ask yourself, why are they doing it? And they shouldn't feel guilty about going out and interviewing, but that's, that's the mindset that they created. And, and then if you find a job and you want to put a reference down, people think very long, well, not long and hard, but they're like, I, they know the people that they would absolutely not put down, which is a shame. And um, so then you have, and to your point, when I was working, I would work with colleagues, even the competition peers that I've come to know over the years. And the typical comment that you hear, say how, first of all, they say, Hey, how's it going? How's work? Living the dream. And that's the, and they're saying it facetiously, right? You're like, man, that's the, it's, you're supposed to be living a dream and people say it because it's not, it's a nightmare. And then you say, well, okay, well, why don't you look, consider going somewhere else? And they say, well, the grass isn't always greener and it's like that everywhere. And I'm telling you right now, John, if it's like that everywhere, then something needs to change because you shouldn't stay at a job because you have no other choices because every other company treats people the same. That's a sad statement. And it's time for people and people in positions of leadership to get their head out of the spreadsheets and the metrics. I'm not saying abandon them because that makes you cringe. You need them, but you have to look at your people. Yeah, and, and it's the old adage, what matters can't be measured and what can be measured doesn't matter, right? I, now, that's not completely true. Metrics do matter. We need, we need they, they do give us uh, an insight into um, 
profitability and productivity and, you know, some of these important areas that we need to pay attention to as leaders. Yeah. But it is true that there's a lot that really matters that you won't ever see in the spreadsheet, right? And so it, unless we know our people, unless we're actively um, interacting with them and supporting them and mentoring and coaching them and developing them, then we're really not doing most of what our job as, as a leader is. Um, I'm wondering in our last few minutes, we might pivot just a little bit to talk about all of this within the context of this pandemic moment. Uh, so, you know, all, all of everything we've been talking about is important and has been important for forever, right? Uh, you know, it, as we're talking about leadership within organizations, uh, in the best of times and the best of circumstances, leadership is hard. And these dynamics that we've been discussing come to play, right? But this last year, we just hit the one year mark of the the pandemic and everything associated with it it's been a rough year and people have been struggling organizations have been struggling leaders have been struggling so how within this context do we as leaders make sure that we are practicing self-care for ourselves to make sure we're staying healthy mentally physically but how do we also make sure that we are taking care of our people who you know are having a whole range of challenges that they're facing that maybe they weren't facing a year ago. Yeah, I, I believe that we haven't really seen the full impact of what the pandemic has done, but it's, it's just an awareness and an awakening for people in positions of leadership, because you, first of all, there's small businesses that aren't, aren't in business anymore, which is a sad statement. And I believe that technology and being able to, to do this right via zoom is a blessing but it's also a curse because i just talked with the colleague that i had a great relationship with that i worked for, with for years and i said well how's it going you haven't been traveling for an entire year he said no everything's on zoom and to me that if you're not waking up that's an easy excuse to use analytics more to say okay or did they log in the zoom where are they and it's easier to that for that disconnect to, to widen and grow because people are not in front of you. And there is absolutely no substitute for human intera interaction. A Zoom meeting is not, a, is not a substitute. And that part is somewhat frightening because uh, my, in my position, I travel all over the country. And, and so does the, my colleague, my friend, and she said, I, I, I haven't traveled in a year. And although traveling can be stressful, that's a part of it. It's the relationship. It's the engagement. But then you say, well, I know where you're at. I know where you're sitting every day and you're accessible. So it's interesting because the relationships that you build up, at least in our industry with relationship management, it's you're building relationships and you get to have fun, but you get to know these people and now that's not there anymore. There's no more dinner meetings. There's no more breakfast meetings. You maybe would do a golf outing. And my friend, she said, well, one of my accounts said, well, I know where you're at. I really don't need to see you anymore. And that's a sad statement because you're completely dis you're leaving the human connection out and that's a slippery slope. And that, and that, and that's not a leader problem. That's a worldwide problem. So for leaders, and there's a recent study saying that people are going to leave their jobs once things quote unquote return to normal. So you have to ask yourself why they're sitting at home, working from home. Why are they leaving their jobs? 
And from a leader, it's just an, an awakening of sorts. And you hopefully that they value their people more and realize that, geez, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe they're not coming into the office and they're sitting at home. It's tough sitting at home doing a Zoom meeting all day or, or talking on the phone versus being on a, in, a, in an office with 30 people making phone calls and that energy. So uh, leaders have to pay attention because I think this is going to be very devastating in the long haul, but nothing's changed, right? Nothing's changed. You have people that are burnout. There be, people have been burnout before the pandemic. People have been actively disengaged and disengaged from work. The numbers are north of 50%. The turnover might be higher. So it's a matter of, okay, well, what can we do to, uh, well, first of all, you have to keep your doors open. So how do I keep my doors open without beating my people over the head with numbers and analytics and saying, did you check into your Zoom? Because that's, again, scary. Um, and what's also jeopardized now is this, this, this thing called a work-life balance, which never existed. Because these companies that I would go to that were my accounts, I would go to their offices and they had dry cleaning there. They had a cafeteria. They had a Starbucks. They had a gym. They never had to go home. And so they were bringing everybody's life into work and saying, here's your work-life balance. And, and, and that was also, I believe, not, that's not good. So now you have none of that at the office. Everybody's at home. Okay. And you're, I know you're where you're at, where your phone is, where your computer is. I can get you seven days a week. I'm not sure which is worse. And again, I think the jury's still out on that, but People in positions of leadership have to be aware. Um, I'll pause there. I was going to go back and talk about the activity and numbers, but I'll pause on that one because I gave you a long answer. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And I, I think I think the bottom line is we have a lot as, as societies, right? We have a lot to grapple with um, in how we're going to continue to respond to the pandemic and hopefully soon post pandemic world. Um, but also that's, it's, it's one blip in time that's had a dramatic impact, but we have other factors, other external drivers that are shifting the nature of work and changing the, the way we interact with each other. And I think all of this, we just have to have a lot of very intentional, hard, well thought out conversations as we start to wrestle with what does all this mean for our organization, for our people, for our culture, and to, to make sure that we are, you know, embracing those pieces of technology, for example, that are valuable and will enhance the opportunities we have, while yes. not giving up on the human components that are also essential. And without them, you know, we could quickly find ourselves down a path that uh, we're, 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 losing out on the richness of humanity and the, the innate um, benefits of people interacting with each other and, mm -hmm. and the genius and the, the collective genius and, and the value that that brings to organizations. So I think all of that, there's no easy answer to any of this, right? But all of that, you know, is, is what we need to grapple with. And we need and to be willing to step up to the plate to, to, to have that wrestle. Yeah, because it's not, loving your people is not taught in business school right? It's, it's all about you know, business and moving up. And you're a parent, you're a father. I'm a father. 
I consider my kids my greatest teachers. Like if we sit and listen to what our kids say, our kids are the ones who are, they come into this world very aware. And, and so if you're a leader, look at your, it's just like, look at how kids act because kids will be told no, no, no time again, or told a certain way to do something. But if they know there's a better way and they know there's something that's, that's more aligned with what's right and what's love, they'll find a way to do it. No matter how many times you tell them to do it a certain way, kids will find a way to get what they want. And what they'll do is they'll tell their parents what the parents want to hear, but the kids will go off and do what they want. That's what employees do. So when you talk about numbers, there's a, a line that people use all the time, garbage in, garbage out. When lead, So now numbers mean nothing because what happens is leaders are saying, well, you hear your metrics, hear your activities, do it, do more, do more, do more. The people that know what they're doing that are employees or salespeople, they know the process, they know how to get things done more efficiently. And they'll, they'll say, and they'll basically say, here are the numbers. They didn't do them. They went out and they did what they knew worked and was efficient and created sales and revenue, but they can't go back to the leader and say, well, actually I didn't do what you told me. I did it this way because it's proven that way. And I know this works with my people and my clients and who I'm calling on. So what happens is they just make up numbers. So now they're saying, look at our numbers. Our numbers are great. And all, all of our activities are here while the salespeople, they're just like kids are like, no, I just told you what you wanted to hear. I went off and did what I wanted. Not, not out of ignorance and selfishness because I want to succeed. And if you know somebody who's a, especially in sales and financial services, and I tested this with some of the top salespeople, I said, listen, when things were tough, they passed regulations in the industry that completely changed the industry. I said, actually, what if I said, you don't have to go out and do your activities and hit the five meetings a day, 25 a week. But I, instead, I said, go out and engage with your clients and find out why they're not selling. Because this happened. A, somebody who's successful and proven themselves, they would rather die than just say, I have no metrics. I'm going to get sit home on the couch and I'm going to eat Doritos and watch TV. They won't even, they have this in this thing that's built in that's going to make them succeed. And they do it anyway. So it's a matter of, are you, are you brave enough as a leader to understand your people that they, they would rather die than fail and say, you know what, For, let's forgo the numbers right now. You go out and engage, talk with your people to find out why they're not doing business. What can we do to support them? And when things come back to normal, we'll go back to the metrics and the analytics, but we just discovered something and you created a deeper relationship because you wanted to know more about them and nobody else did. And but that's what happens. And, and I had private conversations with top performers and they said, yep, you're right. But I have to check the box and say, I did my five meetings a day and 25 per week. And they're making most of them up and they're still doing what they want. And that's where leader leadership fails because I should be able to go back to a leader and say, Hey, you know what? I actually did it this way because I know my customers and it resulted in X amount more sales but they don't. And that's a huge disconnect. And nobody talks about that. Yeah. Yeah. I I've seen that too. And, and we have to be really careful uh, with the use of, of metrics and what, are, what behaviors are we actually motivating through what we choose to focus on and what are we, what behaviors are we not tapping into 
because of the way we structure things. I, I think there's a lot of conversation around that as well. Well, Tom, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, the, the time has flown by. Um, we could continue to go on and on, I'm sure, but you also have a busy day ahead of you, I, I know. And so um, I, I want to start to wrap things up. But before we close, I wanted to make sure I gave you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about what you're up to, and then give us the last word on the topic for today. Great, John. Thank you very much. Thanks. for it's, It was awesome. And the time did fly by. I could spend another hour or two talking with you. People can visit me at tomcorner.net. That's T-O-M corner, C-O-R-N-E-R.net. They can look at my upcoming book at antagoniststoangels.com. And from there, you can check me out on Facebook or, or Twitter or LinkedIn on my website, tomcorner.net. You can see my books. Some of the interviews I've done, this will be on there. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to keep this short, but I won't. But I'm going to tell you right now, Albert Einstein back in 1922 said, forget success. And I'm using a nice F word. And what happened in 1922, he wrote the words down, a common modest life bring more joy than the pursuit of success bound with constant unrest. A common modest life bring more joy than the pursuit of success bound with constant unrest. And his intelligence and eloquence in 1922, he wrote that down on, on stationery at the Imperial Tokyo Hotel for a courier because he didn't have money to tip him. That along with where there's a will, there's a way. Those words sold for $1.5 million at an auction. I think it was 2017. What he was saying was forget success, because if you look up the definition of success, we need to reinvent success. There is no mention of calm, modest, or joy. There's no mention of happiness. There's no mention of awakening. There's mention of things, of ego things. And I'm not saying again that they're bad. They're great. They're wonderful. But if you wake up at the end of your, of your journey and you haven't found the calm and the modest and the joy, you very well may look back and say, oh man, what did I miss? So there's something we need to look at when we consider success because I, I apparently did it and had all that, but the calm and the modest and the joy wasn't there. And I felt completely lost. So thank you. Thank you. A great way to close. Uh, I, I think that's a message we need to hear over and over and over again. I think particularly in Western cultures, uh, you know, we, I think we get all bent out of shape um, in terms of how we, we, we get involved in the rat race and, and focus on what, you know, to your point, what quote unquote success means um, based on comparisons to other people. And, and that's really just not what it's about at all. And it's a very unique and individualized thing that we have to find for ourselves. It's a, it's a journey that we're on with ourselves, with our families, uh, with our communities, and, and within our organizations. And there's no one size fits all definition of success. And, you know, it, we're, we're going to be perpetually disappointed <laughs> if that's, uh, yeah. if that's how we, we frame, you know, success in our life. Yeah. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Uh, I really appreciate all of your insights and sharing your time with us. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected with Tom, find out 
more about what he can do for you and check out his books. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. I hope you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.